Acts chapter 14. mild panic attack there and I couldn't find my sermon. All right, Acts chapter 14. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 28. If you're using one of the Red Pew Bibles, you can find that on page 923. And this morning we're going to be finishing chapter 14. We've been making our way slowly through Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey together. And this morning we're going to be finishing that up. Uh, earlier this week I had a Uh, a video call with a dear friend who I met in seminary uh, who was preparing to return with his family to do ministry overseas. Now, to be honest, I thought they were already gone, and I happened to run into him. We we got to visit the church we were members at previously last Sunday, and as we were there, I'm I'm walking along trying to find a space to sit, and I just saw him, and it's like, oh, there's Elder. What are you doing here? So, Come to find out, God has been doing a lot, and we got to catch up a little bit. It was the plan all along for them to return back to their homeland. He's from South Africa, um, and the plan all along was for them to do their ministry, do their education there, and then to head back home. So when I saw him, I was kind of surprised. But God had it seems that God has opened the door for him to extend his stay a little bit longer in the States uh, to get his doctorate there, and so I was delighted to get to catch up with him. even as, because when we left Louisville, I really did not expect to see him again this side of glory. So it was very, a uh, very sweet time. Now, originally, I believe Albert's plan had been to return to his homeland to pastor, but since then, God has given him a bit of a broader vision. Officially, his homeland is considered a Christian nation, but as we spoke, he explained to me that in reality, his homeland is really gripped with some powerful distortions of the gospel and some really strong sense of just nominalism. Uh, People will say they're Christians, but they also have a local witch doctor they go to, and they routinely worship their ancestors. Uh, on top of that, there's, it seems like there's very little taste there for sound doctrine. And along with that, the prosperity gospel is absolutely thriving there. And then he told me that the mainline seminaries and schools that are there are very liberal in their theology. In fact, he told me a story where a professor is said to have started his class on the Gospel of John by writing on the chalkboard in bold letters, Jesus is not God. So, the need there is very real. And Aldert hopes to return to serve his local church, uh, but also to serve churches across the nation and across Africa, really, by focusing his efforts on pastoral education. He's going somewhere that we, to us, it's the mission field. But it's more personal for him because these are his people. These are communities that he's grown up in. This is his native tongue. And so I'm so excited to get to see how God is clearing a path for him and his family to serve Christ in such a specific, vital way. But the purpose of our, our call together was, was, was not just to catch up with each other, but it was also um, because Alder told me he's looking to form partners in this ministry who are going to commit with him um, to, to pray for him, to in, in 
intentionally encourage their family as they go and also to support them financially. Um, He intends to work a secular job part-time to help support his family, but he told me that how missionary partners allow will allow him to actually devote the proper amount of time he needs to be training local pastors. So as we talked about that, Alder made this he made this comment to me that really stuck with me about why this was so important. He said that more than just relieving the financial burden that this is going to put on him, he just really emphasized to me that this was really about partnership in the gospel together. He said, we can't do what we're doing on our own, but more than that, along with that, there's this added benefit of continuing relationships and getting to share in the joy of this work together. So at the end of his presentation, he told me a little bit about how God was already doing that uh, through those who had partnered with him in that, and what he's planning, what he's doing, what he plans to do. And as we talked about that, we just got to see how this, this is so much bigger than just him. This is a kingdom work. This isn't Albert's personal missionary crusade. This really is the body of Christ at work together. So it got me thinking about how the task of missions really applies to us all. It is the responsibility of every believer. We're not all called to go, but we all are called to be involved. There's kingdom work to be done. The field, Jesus told his disciples, is white with harvest. We must each play our part in that labor. But even as we're called to share in this responsibility to make Christ known in every corner of the globe, we also get to share in the joy of that work. Whether we go or whether we send, there is joy in Christ's work to go round. And that's the joy I want to direct your attention to in our text this morning. In Acts chapter 14, verses 24 through 28, Luke records how Paul and Barnabas conclude their first missionary journey and return to the church in Antioch that had originally sent them out. This is a short passage that is to the point, almost a footnote in the greater story of the text. But there are some details about this passage that are really informative for us because they help us understand and consider our own situation, how we can faithfully participate in and serve in the ministry of Christ both here and abroad. So as we look at this passage, I'm hoping that God will encourage and strengthen us as a body to care well for those whom he sends out from us to bring that message of the gospel to those who've never heard of it. So let's begin by reading this text. If you will, please stand with me as we read God's word together. Once again, we're in Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 24, reading through verse 28. This is the word of the Lord. Then they, that's Paul and Barnabas, passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered to church, the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of God. Praise be to God for it. Please be seated. Well, with these words, Luke brings his account of Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey to an end. 
Although their path took them through many dangers, it's plain to see that God worked in incredible ways through them to bring light and salvation to people across this area of the world. Churches had been established in Cyprus and Galatia. Jews and Gentiles alike had heard the good news of Jesus and had believed it. A great gospel harvest was taking place. But now the time had come for Paul and Barnabas to return. And as we see, as we read Luke's account of this, we see three reasons why Paul and Barnabas returned, all of which help us to better understand the priorities of gospel partnership. And that's what I want to unpack with you this morning. As we do, I hope that our study of this passage is going to help us think a little more critically about the partnerships that we have as a local church with ministry partners across the globe. So, three reasons Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch. They returned, we see first, because their task had been completed. Their task was completed. Second, they returned because they were eager to report about God's work to the church. And third, we see that they returned because they wanted to build the church up in joy. So let's begin by looking at the completion of their task. Now, once Paul and Barnabas had made their way back through the cities and the places that they had initially preached the gospel, having strengthened the saints in those cities, appointing elders to serve over them in their churches, and commending them with prayer and fasting to the grace of God, Luke tells us they began to make their long journey back to Antioch in Syria. Now, their journey home took them through places they had yet to really spend much time in, but we see that they were faithful to use their time there, preaching the word as they went. Luke says that Paul and Barnabas passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and they spoke the word in a city called Perga. Now, Perga is a city we're already a little bit familiar with. It's a port town. It's where they first entered this region from Cyprus with John Mark, and John Mark had left them there. From there, they went to the city of Italia, and then they sailed directly east back to Syria, where God had first called them for this journey. It's a lot of miles, and Luke doesn't really describe all the details of the journey in depth, but from the moment they, they finish their work in Derby, we really get the sense that Paul and Barnabas have completed their task, and they're headed home. This is a, the long journey home. Now, we all know about Paul's passion to bring the gospel to those who had never heard it. And so it's worth asking why he and Barnabas ever even felt a need to return back to Syria in the first place. Why, why didn't they stay in the field? Why, why, did they, why didn't they keep going into places like Macedonia or Crete or even on into Rome and beyond? Now, those were all places where Paul, at least, was going to end up but not this time, not this trip. No, from Derby on, the priority seems to be for them to get back to the church that had first sent them out. In verse 26, Luke gives us a little bit of insight into why it was that Paul and Barnabas came back home. It's in his description of Antioch itself. He says, And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. The key word to notice there is the word fulfilled. They came home, Luke says, because they had completed their mission. They had fulfilled the work the Holy Spirit had first called the church to set them apart to do. 
Now, Luke doesn't tell us exactly how Paul and Barnabas came to understand that their task was complete, but I think we're meant to understand it was made plain to them by the leading of the Holy Spirit. They, in this time, they had covered a significant amount of territory. They'd been gone for a long time, and now it was time for them to return. Not just so they could be somewhere familiar, but so that they could rejoin those who had first sent them out. They ended their journey back where they first started. And Luke's account of this really conveys a sense of completion and fulfillment. It's, it says something to us about the lasting fraternity that exists between believers, even when we're separated from each other for, for a time. For Christians, goodbye is never really the end, and I'm very thankful for that. As each of us is joined to Christ in faith, we're also joined with one another. And that gives us a certain amount of confidence that even as we part ways, we will be joined together again. One day, our work will be complete. Christ will gather his people to himself, calling the church, calling the church to himself to dine with him in his kingdom. We confess that every time we take the Lord's Supper together. On that day, we will look into each other's faces and we will behold the glory of God reflected in the perfection of his new creation. We will see each other the way we were always meant to be. We will see across that table this mosaic of God's perfect grace and our hearts will feel the depth of true satisfaction. That day is coming. We get, a, we get a little taste of that every time we come together as a church. While I get to see some of you throughout the week, some of you more than others, I don't get to see all of you. That is until we come together for worship and fellowship with each other, just as we've done this morning. Part of the joy for me in coming to church is getting to enjoy your presence. It is being encouraged by each other as we hear about the present grace of God in each other's lives. I, I look forward to every Sunday morning. It makes my heart full to see you and to hear about how God is working in your lives. When I don't have that, I don't know about you, if I have to miss a Sunday, I, I feel an emptiness because there is just nothing like that fellowship of the saints. We belong together. And one day we will enjoy that togetherness, not just with the saints who are here in this room, but with all the saints. And what a day that will be. But until then, there is work to be done. Having said that, I think that in order for us to do that work well, we must keep it in mind that there is an end to it, a fulfillment we are laboring towards. I don't know about you, but I find it is very difficult to labor well when there's no end in sight. Jared and I have been running together for over a year now, right? Okay, at least a year. Uh, when we, have, we have a route that we like to follow. Uh, when it got cold, though, we had to start running on the treadmills over at the gym here at South. And we wanted initially, we wanted to keep our mileage up, but I don't think we realized just how hard that was going to be. 
When we, were, when we were running outside, we had landmarks. We had places to run to. We had a little boy on a corner who would always yell at us when we'd run past. We'd always look forward to those things. And when you run on a treadmill, it's, it's just unbelievably monotonous. Uh, the TVs that are mounted on the wall, they only do so much. It's hard to stay focused and to stay motivated. I found myself regularly looking at those little numbers on the display and just praying that they would turn over faster so I could just be done. It, it has tested my self-discipline. I wonder if that's not how we've come to see the Great Commission. We know that one day Jesus is going to come back. But we don't know when that's going to be. And so it's really easy to lapse into this mentality where we are eager to see Christ return, but we've lost our motivation to run the race he's called us to run. When, when that happens, we are in terrible danger of becoming distracted by worldly things, of setting up residence in vanity fair, so to speak, of investing our efforts in temporary treasures rather than heavenly ones of holding our energy back because we just don't know how far we've got to go. There's a work that has been set before us. Make Christ known. God has placed each of us here at this specific time and this specific place. And just as, time, as a time came when Paul and Barnabas' work was complete, so a time will come when our work is complete. As we look forward to that end, when either he comes to us or we go to him, let us labor. Let us apply ourselves to this work, not saving our strength, but making every effort to exert ourselves in the service of Christ according to the grace and the power he has given us. Let us resolve to do that today. One day, Brothers and sisters, the Great Commission is going to be the great completion. And on that day, our joy will be full like it never has been before. Let's keep that in mind. Let's let that motivate us to press on towards the prize that is set before us. Let's work together towards that task. Let's be a church that runs with industry and with endurance that has a reputation for being missional, which is dedicated to the work that God has called us to. Because Christ is glorious, and your next breath is not guaranteed. So don't hold back. Live the gospel out. And one day, that work will be complete, and we will enjoy it. So Paul and Barnabas returned because their work was complete. They also returned to give a report to the church. As we think about the way that Paul and Barnabas' journey ends, it's important for us to remember a key detail about how it began. God didn't call Paul and Barnabas individually out of the church on their own authority to go out and do this work. No. In fact, the directions of the Holy Spirit were given to the church itself. Now that, that is a key thing to keep in mind. The Holy Spirit had told the church, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And now when we first started this, this series through this missionary journey, we see that the church at Antioch did just that. 
Fasting and praying together, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off in obedience to God's command. It is so interesting that Luke has has recounted that to us so that we see that the command was not given directly to Paul and Barnabas but to the church to do this work. It says something about the authority here. It says something about Christ's priority for his body and our role in it. This is a detail of the whole journey that we really must not miss. There's a certain authority which is given by Christ to his church, which the Holy Spirit worked through in sending Paul and Barnabas out with the message of the gospel into all these places. As members of the body of Christ, Christians are called to submit themselves to one another. It's part of the way that we embrace the example of Jesus who submitted himself to the will of the Father and did accomplish our work of redemption. I remember a conversation I had with another friend who is currently serving as a pastor and missionary in the Middle East. As he's preparing to go, I remember talking with him, and he just he told me how, I asked him, how are things going? And he just said, he told me that he and his wife had gone, and they had talked to the elders of our church about their decision, and they were waiting to hear what they had to say before they could go. And I remember, as he said that, I just felt this little flash, like, what? I don't know if it was defiance. I don't really know what it was. It was so clear to me, and also that God had clearly called him to this ministry. Doors were being flung wide open. You could drive a truck through them. They were going to a place that had had no gospel access for hundreds of years, thousands of years. I mean, this is an ancient part of the world that has been closed to the gospel, and only recently were opportunities opened for the church to go in there. It just seemed like an absolute yes Why would you even bother, I wondered. But even as he said that, I remember feeling this this sense of conviction through the Holy Spirit, I think through his example. And I realized those elders, which we had submitted ourselves to, had been appointed to shepherd and serve our souls. And whether he knew it or not, my friend really taught me a lesson there by example of what it looks like to humble yourself and rely on the means of God's grace. I ended up doing the same thing when Ellie and I first got called here because of that example that he laid down. As we look at this, I think we'd have to ask or say that anyone, if there's anyone out there who would have had authority in a situation like this to go, it would have been Paul and Barnabas. They had basically planted the church in Antioch. They were functioning as its pastors. But Paul and Barnabas didn't commission themselves for the task of bringing the gospel to Cyprus and Galatia. God did that, and he used the means of the local church to make that happen. There's a beautiful order to this that takes the focus off of Paul and Barnabas themselves and puts it on the church, the body of Christ as a whole. And I think that adds to the beauty that we see here at the conclusion of this trip in the way that Paul and Barnabas then traveled back to Antioch with their report. This, it was really, it was the church in Antioch that had commended them to the grace of God and had sent them out for the work in the first place. 
Accordingly, it's only right and good that Paul and Barnabas should have brought this report of all that God had done through them back to this same body of believers. In verse 27, Luke says that when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So as soon as Paul and Barnabas came back to Antioch, there they were, gathering the church together to report to them all that God had done. The church in Antioch had sacrificed very deeply by sending two of their very best, but clearly it had been worth it. The gospel had gone into places where it would have been otherwise unthinkable to send people, and yet with the grace of God we see that it bore great fruit The barriers that Satan had erected against the gospel had come tumbling down. The proconsul in Cyprus had believed the good news. In spite of all the jealous efforts of the Jewish leaders who had rejected the gospel in these cities, the good news had taken root in large, important, influential cities. God had spared Paul's life in Lystra. The kingdom of darkness was being driven back by the light of the gospel. So as you can imagine... What must have been what it must have been like to be the believers in Antioch hearing this report? Imagine as they rejoiced, knowing that their obedience to God's command had been used and rewarded by him to do impossible things. Imagine their eyes as they heard about the way that God had silenced that false prophet Elimus. Or or look or the look on their faces as Barnabas told everybody about how Paul had been stoned, drugged through the streets, everyone thought he was dead, and then he got up and walked back in the city. And all these things the church in Antioch got to rejoice and take heart in the power of God and the glory of Christ, not just as observers, but as partners with Paul and Barnabas. They got to see how God had opened a door of salvation not to just draw Jews in, but also Gentiles. The kingdom of God was expanding. And although they had not all traveled the road with Paul and Barnabas, the members of the church in Antioch got to play a key role in sending them out to do that work. Here at Grace Baptist Church, we have got, we've had the privilege of hearing reports like these from our missionary partners, like the Grahams, the Johnsons, the Moores, the Hunts, the Muses, and, and others. It's a pattern which we see laid out here for us in Acts 14. And I think it sets a precedent down for us as we think about our responsibility towards those partners. Paul and Barnabas' relationship with the church in Antioch didn't dissolve when God called them to take this path. No, if anything, it was strengthened because they got to share in the joy of what God had done through them. God has not called all of us to go to the mission field, but he has called all of us to be missional. To borrow uh, from William Carey, the church needs rope holders, people who labor fervently to support those who go down to bring the light of the gospel to the dark places where people have not heard it. In this, we all get to become partners in joy because we are partners in the gospel. 
In John 4, Jesus told his disciples, Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. It's one work. You may not be the tip of the spear, but you're part of the whole. And that is a reason to consider the importance of that partnership together. I've heard it from missionaries that one of the things they struggle with the absolute most is loneliness. They're going to a place with very little Christian fellowship. Sometimes none at all. Sometimes by themselves. Knowing that they have that relationship with people who are with them. Not just paying bills, but with them praying for them, keeping them accountable, checking in, going to see them makes all the difference in the world. I remember one missionary in particular we spent time with. He said, guys, you don't understand. My kids are going to talk about this trip to come see us until you come back next year. And it struck me that there is a purpose in short-term missions, not just to go dig wells or paint walls, but to strengthen the witness of those people who were there to give them a little bit of endurance as they go. We're partners in this, not, not merely participants, but partners. God never wastes the efforts of his people in the, field, in the field of the world. Jesus will have all for which he died for. Our joy and our privilege is to get to be part of that in our own individual lives and in our work together as a local church. There is joy to go round because the glory of God is going out to the world and it is bearing gospel fruit even as it has in our own lives. That brings us to the third reason that Paul and Barnabas returned. They returned to build the church up in that joy. Having returned from their trip, Luke says that Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch for some time. A scholar think it's probably about a year. In that time, I think we can expect that they continued the work that they had been doing before they left. Verse 28 really brings us to a sort of conclusion. What we're going to step into next week as we look at Acts 15 is a very essential doctrinal issue that comes as a result, in some parts, as a result of this trip. The focus in the book of Acts is about to shift, but before it does, we have this conclusion being laid out for us by Luke. Luke has prepped us for that a little bit in verse 27. He mentions about how Paul and Barnabas relayed to the church all that God had done to open the door of faith to the Gentiles. That's what this doctrinal issue in Acts 15 is going to be about. If we allow ourselves to actually skip forward a little bit to verse 3 of chapter 15, we see that this was something that they were eager to tell the other churches about as well. Luke says that as Paul and Barnabas were sent Uh, to the church in Jerusalem, they spoke to the churches and the believers throughout Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail to them about how God had worked in the Gentiles. And And then Luke says, in doing so, they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. Now Luke doesn't say it in so many words, but I am convinced that the church in Antioch felt that same joy when they heard this news. And that's why I think it's so important to make this third point to you about how Paul and Barnabas plugged themselves in to build the church up in joy. And that was part of their return. God's purpose was never to limit salvation to one people or one nation. 
Although he has exalted Israel and choosing them by his grace to be a special people, giving them the covenants and the law, bringing their fulfillment about through Jesus Christ, our Savior, God's purpose has always been to make his glory known in all the earth. He has exalted Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior of all who trust in him. That is the message that God has called his church to share. The throne of Christ is over all of creation. The commission of the church is to go and tell because it's through that message that salvation comes to the lost. That message is a message of joy, the fulfillment of Psalm 67, verse 4, which says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Do you realize we sit here this morning in fulfillment of that psalm? We are the nations. We get to sing with joy. The purpose of missions and the purpose of the local church are really the same. It's this joy, a joy that comes through faith in King Jesus, a joy that produces right worship with right affection and praise to God. When Paul and Barnabas returned to the church at Antioch, they continued that work which God had called them to. They didn't see a difference between what they'd been doing in the field, in the missionary field, and what they did in the walls of the church in Antioch. They had been doing the same thing. And I think it is an important element for us to see this and understand because over time it seems like there has been this invisible line drawn between missions and missionaries and then local churches. It's like the church in the West especially has started to treat missions the way it has come to treat youth ministry and kids ministry and discipleship professionally. If we're to do these things right, we need to see that the priorities of the gospel and the church remain the same, whether we're in our own native culture or whether we're seeking to reach out to another one. The mission of the church is the same, whether it's here in Sheboygan or China or Ireland or South Africa or South America or Europe. The most important thing that a missionary must take with them into the field is not an anthropological report about a certain people group, but a solid grip on the gospel of grace and the glory of King Jesus. It's about reaching people with that truth of the good news, calling people to repentance and faith. It's the same calling put on them that is on us as a local church. We need to see that unity because it helps clarify the mission of missions and the mission of the local church. They are one. They are the same, and we're meant to labor on in that together, trusting the truth of Jesus' words when he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, there were some bitter moments on the road for Paul and Barnabas. There were many troubles, many dangers, but none of those compared to the joy of Christ or the satisfaction that Paul and Barnabas had in him, and which we know if we're in Christ. As we think about our own calling, let us embrace the urgency of working towards the completion of our work. Let us 
take responsibility to care for and support those that God has called out and sent out for that work. And let us resolve together to build one another up in the joy of the gospel as we live as the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we just we thank you for the way that you brought Paul and Barnabas through so many dangers back to their friends and fellow believers in Antioch. Lord, if we could only have been there to hear that report, I'm sure that our hearts would be blazing just as I'm sure that the hearts of the believers in Antioch were blazing. Lord, you did a mighty work and we are hungry to see that work done here in our community, in our state, in our nation, and across the globe. Lord, we want to see King Jesus exalted. Our love is for him, and we want other people to love him because he is worthy. And we know that in a relationship with him, we are fulfilled, and we want others to enjoy that as well. We we want people to come to salvation, Lord, and we want to come to you and beg that you would do that work through your church now. You have never failed in your faithfulness. And even as we see a decline in some some ways here in the West, even as people's hearts seem to be hardened to this truth, it is not beyond the power of Christ. He has won the victory. We, We don't fight for victory, fight that from that victory. We are a people of his cross. And we are a people who live in the light of his life. And we pray, Father, that you would make us diligent in this work and that as such we would be faithful and pleasing in your sight as your children. We thank you for the grace that you have poured out on us and for the glory of Christ who assures us of his victory. And we pray that you would enliven us now to go and be faithful as we go into our homes, as we go to our friends, our neighbors, our family, and our jobs. We thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.